0: Good morning and hello everyone, thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce, and your co-host for the next hour. We uh, welcome you to uh, follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. You can send questions to our distinguished guests using hashtag #DisruptTV, TV and we'll do our best to answer the questions live on the show. We've interviewed over 200 Fortune 1000 executives, startup founders, venture capitalists, technology analysts, and media personalities. So we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and check out our video podcast, Vimeo, and SoundCloud and iTunes. My my great friend and guest, Ray Wong, is in the air right now, so hopefully he'll join us uh, towards the second half of the show. But we have our super uh, substitutes. This is what we do at Disrupt TV. We ask our guests to co-host last minute, and they're kind enough to do so. We have Dion Hinchcliffe, Vice President and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. Diane is an internationally recognized business strategist, best-selling author, enterprise architect, industry analyst, and a noted keynote speaker. He's widely regarded as one of the most influential figures in digital strategy, future of work, and enterprise IT. He's currently the vice president and principal analyst at Constellation, also chief strategy officer at Seven Summits. He's a must follow. In fact, he's been named amongst the top one, two, three uh, most influential people on Twitter regarding all things digital and future of work, uh, artificial intelligence, CIO related topics. So he's a must follow on Twitter at D-H-I-N-C-H-C-L-I-F-F-E. Welcome to Ion to Disrupt TV.
1: Well, that's a fantastic introduction, Vala. Great to be here. Looking forward to the conversation today.
0: Yeah, we are, we're privileged to have. So we launched uh, Disrupt TV in February 2016. And our first show, our, our first guest was uh, Brian Fanzo. In fact, he's been a repeat uh, <laughs> guest on Disrupt TV. Anytime Ray and I want to learn about the absolute bleeding edge disruptive technology and digital marketing future of work video. We bring we bring Brian to teach us. Uh, he's a change evangelist and a social video trendsetter, uh, the number one periscoper in the world. Uh, Brian Fanzo uh, is a social media expert as well. He's a technology evangelist. Um, he's worked with enterprise technology companies to utilize new technologies such as social and mobile analytics, cloud computing, uh, to be more more productive and become more involved in their communities and ultimately become a social business. He's a he's a you know, a, a role model when it comes to be a social executive. He's also someone who has passion for teaching. <laughs> he hosts numerous, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, shows to teach business leaders how to be more social, more connected. He hosts uh, weekly hangout SBizHour Hour and Cloud Talk. There's a hashtag SBizHour Hour and Cloud Talk, as well as two weekly podcasts called Smack Talk and I Social Talks. He's another obvious must-follow on Twitter at I-S-O-C-I-A-L-F-A-N-Z, I, social fans. Brian, welcome back to Destruct TV.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a long time since episode one, so uh, <laughs> excited to be here. And uh, you know, honor uh, Diane's been a, a good friend of mine for a, a long time, and uh, you know, you two are two people that I've been looking up to for uh, the tech space for a, a good while. So I'm excited to be here and catch uh, with you two.
0: Where are you? I, I see you're not you're not in your office. You're not on a keynote stage. Where are you right now?
2: No, I'm actually in Fort Myers, Florida. Uh, so I'm i down here in Fort Myers. Uh was running a little bit behind, but thankfully due to the technology we we love to talk about, I was able to join from my from my iPhone. So you gotta love uh, <laughs> the technology. Even since the first episode, we did it, so much has changed. And uh, yes, yeah, so I'm I'm in the car, sitting uh, in Fort Myers for uh, you know a couple of events that I'm doing down this area. So a lot, a lot of fun, a lot of change.
1: That's the future work right there, Brian.
0: Yeah. That's yes, exactly. Work, work from anywhere. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, Brian, let's talk. So we're starting the year, you know, obviously it's been a fast and furious year, even though we're still in January uh, and uh, we were talking before the show, you know, I, I flew on January 2nd to go to an analyst summit. And uh, so it's been a fast and furious year already. But as you reflect on 2017, and you have always been a trendsetter. Uh, across multiple platforms uh, that 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 uh, CMOs and digital marketeers study. Can you recap 2017 in terms of maybe the top one or two or three trends that you saw that you think will continue to be impactful for digital marketeers and folks that are trying to think about future of work in 2018?
2: Sure. So I think, you know, it's, it's an interesting year. I think, you know, the, the big one that jumps out of course to me is live video kind of, you know, th- this this idea of emergence of live video. I remember, you know, us talking two years ago uh, about Meerkat and the South by Southwest and, mm-hmm. and so much of it had to do with mobile technology really being, you know, not only allowing us to work from anywhere, but in allowing us to collaborate from anywhere, you know, leverage modern technology. We've been able to work from everywhere, you know, for a while, but the fact that we're not limited to what we work with or how we work with things was a big trend. I think in live video, 2016 kind of, emerged live video I, I like to say 2017 we proved that you can make really bad live video um and I, and, I, and i say that with like we you know live video really is this and, I, and the reason mark zuckerberg you know is all in on live video he's he's talked about it being the you know the face of facebook and i use a hashtag all the time in zuck we trust so if if mark is going all in with live video there must be a reason for him the main reason is it's the, the closest to offline you know real world connectivity while using social networks. And, and, and live video has kind of proven this idea that everyone can have a voice and anybody can press the button. Unfortunately, I think 2017 was the year that we realized that it's a, it's a good and a bad thing, right? For, for both brands and leaders. So that was one of the trends that I think, you know 2017 we proved the value of live video. I believe it's gonna change 2018 where live video is gonna you know, be part of strategies in 2018, even strategies beyond marketing. But I think even bigger than live video itself, one of the things that I believe this trend has impacted every business is that transparency and authenticity have really never been so important. And, you know, in the world we live in today, we have the Me Too movement. We have a lot of this movement where who do you trust? How do you trust somebody? And I think live videos has proven this idea where we don't trust the brand, we don't trust a logo. We trust people, great people that make up those brands and great people that, that really are part of that. And that includes in every way of our marketing. So, you know, not even video marketing, but how we write blogs, how we do our email marketing. All of a sudden, our emails are much more personal now, right? We, we right. try to put a human face on things. And so I think one of the biggest, you know, I think when I was summarized 2017, 2017 kind of proved, it, hey, technology is finally where we need it. We now need to embrace the human characteristics that we've loved and yearned for so long. And so I like to say, for the last 10 years, we've used digital to distance ourselves from kind of the human condition. And we've now realized we want to go back to the human condition and kind of embrace more human characteristics in the digital world. Weren't a lot
1: of those older types of content you talked about blogging and email marketing? Those take real work. And one of the things that really strikes me about video is this democratizing aspect that anybody can press that button. And produce that video and it takes almost no effort right i mean it seems to me that's really kind of led to that explosion and now the platforms have caught up and put that button in front of everybody
2: it has you know and it's, a, it's a blessing and a curse right everyone can press <laughs> the button but and that makes it possible for everyone to tell their story not only does not everyone have a story but sometimes there's some you know bigger bigger things involved but it is an empowering thing right especially for the small medium-sized business the idea that you couldn't keep, you know, compete with the enterprise, you couldn't compete with a lot of the bigger businesses, because you didn't have a professional studio, you didn't have the budget to go live, you didn't have the budget to do a lot of the things. Now it's really leveled the playing field. But it's also allowed the bigger brands, the bigger enterprises, that maybe, you know, everything was polished and produced. Now they've kind of taken the wall down, right? And I think I, I love the show, you know, part of the Disrupt TV conversation that I've always been inspired by is you hear the human stories, you hear the things that remind us that every male or female executive in any big company, they all put their pants on the same way we do, right? They all, they all are just as human. They have, and that, you know, this is one of the things that I talk a lot about on stage this year is relatability, right? I think we've always talked about, hey, people buy from people they like, and I will challenge people in 2018 and beyond people will buy from companies they can relate to and that they believe relate with them. And I think that's what we're learning, you know, with the different CIOs and CMOs on here that are, you know, that that share their vulnerabilities and share who they are. Sometimes, you know, the internet doesn't work and sometimes things happen. And this idea that it doesn't matter what position you are, there is a human behind it. I think is a great trend as we move forward. And it's exciting to see where that impacts every aspect of future work to collaboration, to even how we integrate artificial intelligence and blockchain and you know, those emerging technologies, I believe they're gonna benefit greatly from this new kind of emergence of human characteristics leveraging uh, technology across the board. Sure, Uh, there's no
0: question that you do humanize your business more as the leaders uh, and all employees at all levels make themselves more accessible, whether it's through video or social or even at, 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 at events. Um, As you consult with companies, this is a two-part question. One, do you feel companies are investing enough uh, in terms of training their employees to be more um, comfortable with, you know, video streaming and and social networking? That's one. And two, uh, when I think about service and support, um, I I managed, you know, uh, several contact centers and I was in the support space for over a decade. I feel that more and more customers will expect and want to speak to uh, support professionals via video live and then be able to bring in your development engineers, field engineers, and really collaborate towards uh, accelerating a path to resolution. Now, companies that have outsourced their services function may be challenged because as their customers demand that video in-person create trust support interaction now are looking you in the eye during this support transaction. And if you can't immediately gain their trust and you're reading a script where you're asking them to, is the device plugged in or have you done these rudimentary steps? You can immediately sense whether you know as much or more than the person you're calling to support. And that could be a real challenge for a company, especially in the B2B space, supporting complex, like like you and I have experience in infrastructure networking as an example. So are we training employees to be more comfortable using digital tools? And do you see a trend where there's an expect, expectations for businesses to have competent people as first touch points, being able to converse and, and relate to you know, stakeholders on, on video platforms?
2: So I love the question because I actually believe the key word of, that, of both answers is trust, right? And I worked in cybersecurity for nine years in the Department of Defense. And when we were deploying cybersecurity, I always did I always uh, focused on what I always call the three T's. I call the three T's, which were trust, training, and technology. And I would actually argue now there's four T's, trust, training, transparency, and technology. But if we look at those four T's, and this kind of answers that, that first question especially is, you know, trusting our employees, trusting the fact that we have the right technology and trusting that we understand the value of what we're deploying is extremely important, especially when it comes to video, right? And no, no executive, no business owner is going to say, no, I don't trust my employees. But then when I ask them, well, would you let your employees take over your Facebook live account? Or would you let them go live on your Periscope account on Twitter? They're like, no, 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 no. I would never do that. You're like, wait, you told me that you trust your employees. And so the, the trusting, I think, is extremely hard. And The reason I always say the second T is training is training is essential I think we've we've missed the part of the boat and I think when people see training I think we think of there's two things we think of training training as in the one-off of uh, training event we do every year right like every company has those you know one-year training but with so much change in technology so much going on we can't just think about training as a one-off thing but we also need to go beyond the technology when we're training right Mm -hmm. train people to understand the mindset of you know, how do I connect and collaborate? How do I disarm somebody when someone's on video? And then the third one is you know, this transparency. And, and I think this is where it answers question two. If you've outsourced your technology or your support or your customer service, and, and this, is, you know, there, this is something that we all know goes on, now the big question becomes, how do you embrace that? How do you admit that, right? And for some, for a long time, outsourced everything. But when we called somebody, we knew that it was rerouted to a different company. We knew oftentimes it was going by a script. And I think there's, a, there's an element where today's consumer is more empowered than they've ever been before. We have more access to data, more insights. They're more connected. I mean, honestly, mo- most of the time they're, you know, they're doing so much research ahead of time. One of the biggest mistakes I think we're making with this whole gap is that, and this kind of answers the second question, is that rather than saying, okay, we've outsourced and these people aren't our employees, we don't wanna be transparent, we don't wanna be uh, on video, I think that's a mistake because that, there, that makes building trust impossible. I actually think taking another step, admit that these are people that are, we've outsourced our help, allow people to kind of uh, you know, be that disconnected, but you have to empower them to be able to make some decisions. But oftentimes, and this is one I think we can all learn from, that digital customer, especially the digital native, right? The, we always hear the millennial Gen Z customer. Here's, here's the trick. Most time we think that, oh my goodness, we have to make sure that we have the right answer for them. And I think that's the wrong way of thinking. I actually think we just have to make sure that we acknowledge that we've heard them and let them know that we're working on it, right? It doesn't mean we have to have the right answer. It doesn't mean someone has to work for our company that is supporting them, we just have to acknowledge them. And it's, it's something as simple as, you know, hey, if I'm screaming at a customer service, and I, want, I just want to know, hey, you've heard me and you're getting back to me. There's nothing worse, especially in this digital age, than, you know, hey, I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to message them on Twitter. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to use social media. And then you hear nothing, right? Something yeah. as simple as, hey, I would love to move this to, to direct message and I'm going to have one of my management call. Like those things are great. And I want to give a quick story on this because I had it happen to me just this week. Um, I switched health insurances to Kaiser Permanente. And I, uh, I openly admit, you know, I'm diagnosed for ADHD. So I, I go to the doctors for that. And I switched to Kaiser Permanente and I walked in, they had the best experience of technology. I swiped my card, they gave me a ticket. I walked to the screen, they welcomed me, my name, the doctors each came out and hand- shook my hand thank me for coming here wow. they walked me through the online system letting me know how the doctor was going to email me letting me know you know and i'm i'm a big guy you know i i give them access to my apple watch data i like to up, you know load out that data and i tell you what i walked out of there blown away like inspired beyond belief at an experience that you know i would have <laughs> never imagined and the cool thing is you know me being a marketer and a live video guy is i fired up my phone in the parking lot on facebook live And I went live and just told everybody about this experience I had and and how amazed I was. And I tagged Kaiser Permanente in it. And about two hours later, they replied back to the message and said, thank you so much for the feedback. This really, we we are blown away by this. We're gonna relay this message to our our Northern Virginia office area and we're gonna let them know. And that's important, but guess what? They took it a step further. Yesterday, they called me, their senior VP of communication called and left me a voicemail on my phone And just want to reach out and say thank you for the video. We showed it to our employees. They were inspired to know that you you were that happy with your experience. And right there, like that, the fact that they acknowledged it on social and they took a second step. I mean, this is it doesn't matter. Right, it could be a marketing agency that they outsourced, the fact that they, they, they recognized and let me know that they were listening. And then they had an executive member call me and people might say like, oh, well, Brian, you're an influencer. You have a big following. I don't have a big following on Facebook. I just posted it to my personal account. I didn't even use my Facebook, you know, fans. I just went live from Brian Fanzo. So this was, you know, every other person they, they were that personalized. And for me, I told him I was like, I'm gonna talk about Kaiser Permanente all the time, and and, and that goes for a health insurance company that I had for eight years beforehand. and not once was I inspired by an experience. So well, I think this is we're say. moving to this this new world.
1: A fantastic customer experience is the best marketing, right? You know, absolutely. That's and so, so Brian, we learned this this the challenge of uh, engaging at scale when you know we had the, the the original social media revolution. We talked about social business and. Every company uh, has to engage in social media because that's where the customers have the tools and they're ready and they want to converse and engage with you. Uh, how is this going to work with video? How do we how do we engage at scale? How are companies going to do this? Um, you know, uh, uh, Vala was mentioning you know the education component, um, but just you know the the challenge of there's millions of customers and they almost always outnumber us, right? So <laughs> what? Uh, how are we going to how are we going to maintain that level of experience? Because I agree with what you said. Is, is what all organizations need to aspire to because customer experience leaders are gonna rule the world. All the data shows that, right? Uh, and this is gonna be part of the customer experience. So what's, how are we gonna close that gap, the, the video engagement gap, if you will?
2: I, I, we're really, I a quote from, it says, <laughs>
0: have to repeat you're cutting
1: you might have to start that over again Brian sorry
2: yeah oh,
0: sorry you're, you're cutting in and
2: out oh, all right I'm sorry is it better now are we good now
0: yeah I think so a little bit
2: <laughs> we'll see think about it as baby steps right I think we look this initially really
0: okay well that's uh that's uh oh, we'll wait okay that i think you back idea. now all right
2: yeah. oh you're on mute all right now we're good yeah, we're good all right we're good <laughs> you, you got to video we have to take steps the video starts to phase out a little bit right i think at <laughs> but i think you know, we have to take this at a, a scale up, right we have to start with baby steps, and I think the other part of this is we really have to start figuring out where video makes sense and where it doesn't make sense, right? I think unfortunately right now we we look at it and say, do we need to reply to everything with video, and maybe that's not the case. Maybe we need to start you know being able to rank things uh, differently. I really believe you know social listening is a game changer, and I think we we undervalue social listening we really we only use it whenever it's disaster recovery or we're trying to you know, recover from a PR disaster or when you know certain small you know, leading up to an event, I think if we start using social listening to kind of be proactive about prioritizing our customer response, that's when we can kind of fit video in. The other <coughs> piece of it is, I think we also have to be okay with publishing video publicly, right? So like, you know, we've, I live in, a, in Virginia with all the, the air traffic control problems that was going on in the different airports, right? Rather than feeling like you have to send a video response to every person, why not post a video response to your Twitter account, you know, pin it to your profile page and let people know? Because I watched the announcements go out from American Airlines and Delta, and it was a typical PR release. They tweeted it out. But that's that's so informal. It's so feel no one feels like you're 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 there's a face there. Right. It's very easy to reply and kind of bash the logo. But what if your, your, your head of customer service said, hey, we, we know our queue is very big. We know that you, those, those that are waiting on the phone, you might be delayed a little bit. But we, we feel your pain. And we want, you, you know, doing that on video and kind of allowing the, the, the public video to kind of be the face, I think is one of those early steps to do it. But it is one that we have to figure out. I mean, video with an email is still a long way to go, right? Like figuring out how we can, you know, kind of uh, scale that. But I, I do believe it's baby steps and then figuring out how do we prioritize uh, when does when video make sense versus when can we kind of do a more public video to the masses.
0: Sure, sure. And I do think that when you talk about machine learning uh, and deep learning algorithms where you can use visioning technology, you can detect sentiment and tone. So you can look at unstructured data, including video, and if your company may not be tagged in the conversation, but you realize that the person is wearing a you know, trailblazer hoodie, and as soon as you detect your brand on uh, whether it's an influencer or otherwise, you can gracefully look up their handle, correlate to your database, whether it's a customer or a prospect, and then engage in a conversation in a non-creepy way. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> because I'm sure they're going to be wondering how did you know that I was, uh, you know, talking about, you know, uh, your company or your industry. But I do think tone, sentiment, vision algorithms still allow companies to really put their listening capabilities to a whole new level. And also stack rank how you engage, perhaps by understanding the share of voice and the influence of the person or the, or the persons that are involved in the conversation. And, and it, it's not necessarily just social influence, but correlating the person to the company, to the sales forecast, or open cases they have in the service and support, or even leads that are being tracked in marketing because if you can identify the person, their sentiment, and any activity within the lines of business in the business, you definitely can take advantage of how you prioritize, who you engage with, and you know, when and how. Uh, so there's, exciting, there's a lot of exciting innovation in that space that I think will help really bring a competitive edge to companies that have invested in social listening.
2: Uh,
0: my, my final question to you, Brian, Facebook announced um, pretty extensive changes to their algorithm. To, to leverage influences and in employees. Um, can you talk about what changes they've made? What, how does that impact businesses? And what should marketeers do when it comes to defining their Facebook go-to-market strategy given the changes that were announced last week?
2: So I think this is, pro- this is the biggest change for Facebook we've seen in, in the most, re- I mean, probably the last five years at least. I think this is a, not only is this a massive shift, and so to explain what happened, I, I did about I 10 interviews this week. I'm speaking on the topic twice next week. Uh, I'll be actually speaking at Social Media Marketing World at the end of February on Facebook and this change. And really what the change that they came out and said was their goal is for Facebook to be a more enjoyable experience. And ultimately, you spend less time on Facebook. but the time that you spend on Facebook, it is more enjoyable because you're getting served up more of the content that is from your friends and your circle, your network. So what that really means is that they're they're de-ranking the pages and the brand content, unless it's being shared from your inner circle. And they're also giving, and this is one of my favorite parts of it, they're really prioritizing what they're calling meaningful interactions. So the new priority, it's not just, we've heard engagement matters, but what is engagement? So one of the true telling signs of this, of the press release that or the release that uh, Mark put out was he used the terms meaningful interactions. And what that we've kind of research to figure out that means is they like threaded conversations and long, you know, conversations going back and forth within Facebook comments. So if you, if your friend shares a a news article and the comment, you you have a a very open dialogue in the comment section of that Facebook post, that post is actually going to be prioritized and served up to more of your shared network. And what this really means is if you're a brand, you're going to have to, to continue to use Facebook ads to get to in front of the right audience. And, and I will argue like organic reach on Facebook has been a kind of obsolete for a while now we've been using advertise. If you're not using Facebook ads for Facebook to get it in front of the right audience, you're probably not using Facebook to its full capabilities today. But what this really means is Facebook is making a change and you know, their stock went down 4% the very first day it happened. And I believe they knew that because to me, you know, two or three years ago, the facebook leadership came out and they said we we believe in the you know the power of facebook we want it to be enjoyable we wanted it to be about community we wanted it to be about conversation the problem was they weren't rewarding that right brands that were uploading ridiculous viral videos or clickbait or fake news were continuing to get massive reach and they were really gamifying the system. And so the big change here is those that have been gamifying the system, your time is done, right? You no longer can do that kind of piece and this is huge but the other piece is this is great news for employee advocacy and great news for what i like to call micro influence marketing right so micro influencer marketing where now when you when you're working with a brand you're working with a sales force you're working with these different groups that your employees sharing content and giving their opinion on it will start to be prioritized and the key one is giving their opinion right and this is this to me is the most fundamental element of social People follow and connect with people on social media because they care about what you have to say. But for so often, we forgot that. And we just kind of share other people's articles. We don't add our own comments. We don't start a dialogue. And ultimately, what Facebook has said is they're going to start to make the ones that are dialogue, the ones that inspire conversations, that's what's going to be rewarded. And I'm excited about this because and I know Dion will remember this, but like, you know, I deployed SharePoint to the Department of Defense with Yammer, and then I went and moved on to a, a data center company where I was in charge of deploying Jive software uh, for our social business tool. And one of the things I worked with my managers on was I built a course to help them understand how to create conversations, understand the, the wording and what, you know, how to act, you know, it's that training element, right? Training people how to sure. not only not ask open you know, to ask open-ended questions and share dialogue beyond, one answer, and that's where we're going to move forward. We're to start to see companies have to embrace employee advocacy, influencer marketing. I also believe we're going to see a shift where community manager and social media manager strategies are going to move from only being a concern for a CMO. We're going to see that being much more of a concern for the entire executive team. Because, no, like that's Diane you said happening. earlier, you know, yeah, it's happening, right? I and mean, because customer service is important, right? We have not only customer service but employee retention. We have you know hiring. You know with recruiting yeah. all of these things are are drastically impacted and i've always believed you know great cultures empower their great people to be the face of their organization facebook right now is saying the companies that are going to stand out and their their contents can be found on facebook are the companies that are doing that i think this is exciting i think it's it's a massive change i think it's going to impact linkedin I think it's gonna impact And we're going to see it impact a lot of other social networks over the rest of this year. But Facebook is, in my opinion, they're putting their money where their mouth is, right? They've preached about the importance of interactions and community and connecting people to people. They now have put the algorithm in place to force that to happen. It's going to be exciting. It's only like four or five days old. The (laughs) algorithm is going to be live, but I'm excited to see where it goes. Brands that are empowering their employees are going to see massive value, I think, with this change.
0: Brian, thank you so much. Yeah, that, that, that's a, that's a we'll, we'll be following your thought leadership in terms of the changes to the algorithm to learn more and share that with the audience. Uh, uh, we have Brian Fanzo, change evangelist, technology trend center, social media expert, and uh, a good friend of Disrupt TV. Happy New Year. Stay connected. I'm sure we're going to have you back on soon. And uh, please follow uh, Brian on Twitter at isocialfans, I-S-O-C-I-A-L f-a-n-z thank you so much brian thanks, and, uh, thanks brian great to talk. Thanks you. guys have a great one cheers thank you sir what a great uh what a great uh, thought leader and you know he's uh, been on the forefront of 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 uh you know new technologies provide always training always educating always connecting absolutely
1: so, no, he's yeah. Andy, the breath of fresh air and a and a ray of information when it comes to uh, learning about all the latest stuff so i uh, love to absolutely
0: talk. absolutely so let's now transition Diane, to um some incredible research that you recently published um regarding uh you know the business and 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 technology impact um uh, uh, and, and trends that the c-suite needs to um you know to 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 uh, better understand when you look at mega trends for the c-suite how do you go about constructing your 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 thesis and please share your um you know the overview of the astro chart which is a framework that you use to uh share your findings yeah
1: you bet uh first uh, a a little uh plug for the astro chart that's a, a model that we use across our research work at constellation kind of communicate what's important you know what uh, what what do you need to be focused on uh is what kind of return is it going to give you how fast is it changing? Uh, you know, some things come on our radar and we can safely ignore them for five years and some things come on our radar and we better start addressing them almost right away. You know, so things like cybersecurity, you know, uh, you know, that's on our radar and we can't you know, we can't we have to deal with it. Right. So uh, it helps you understand the relative importance of it. But in terms of the megatrends, um, my after chart research area is called the new C-suite. And it's a reflection that I think you've seen this too, Vala, uh, that uh, there's a new leader that's emerging. You know, we're seeing the first millennial C-level leaders emerging in the Fortune 500 and the Global 2000, you know, um, and it's exciting to see uh, that they have a different sensibility. They look at digital not as something that they have to learn, that's something outside of themselves, but it's, you know, something that, that they deeply have internalized, you know, most of their lives. Uh, and now they're ready to guide their organization through this. Uh, so they're much more comfortable in, in, in dealing with digital technology, but they have a very different look at, uh, about it too. They, you know, we, I think we've uh, uh, I've heard it mentioned. The millennials are the, the first generation that has always had uh, been monitored and surveilled their entire lives. They're much more comfortable being watched uh, by technology, tracked by technology, uh, and we know that our businesses, you know, are going to be infused with data and uh, and IT in everything that we do, uh, and so. It, they have a different way of looking at it. And so uh, what this focus is, what are the trends? What are the business trends? And what are the technology trends that these new, this next generation of leadership needs to track on? What are the most important ones, in other words, right? Sure. Uh, And to do this, um, we've talked with a lot of folks uh, over the last year. So, of course, you know, uh, the conversations that you and I have on Twitter all the time Mm -hmm. Uh, are are talking with CIOs and chief digital officers and chief marketing officers uh, and people who are just digital leaders in their own right but maybe don't have that that title so there's been a lot of conversations in 2017 that are now coming to fruition in in 2018 you know things like GDPR which not not a sexy topic but everyone is focused on you know the the data privacy and data protection uh, and all the regulations in Europe even if you don't do business there so that's really important but at the same time, there's all this digital innovation and opportunity and disruption, right? Being had with things like Internet of Things uh, is going to be a very disruptive force. Uh, blockchain is uh, and blockchain-related technologies uh, are really going to going to inform uh, how companies formulate their new products and services in finance and healthcare and insurance and all these exciting places. So. You know how big a bang uh, for the buck are they going to get from that? How much should they focus on that now? Should they be experimenting? or they should they be putting this in the middle of their business right now? So the Astra chart helps you understand that. Uh, and th- these industry conversations were one source. Uh, we also um, conducted a CIO survey this year uh, where we talked to the top CIOs in the world. And and the reason we did that is uh, because the average CIO is going to be facing what they're facing. They faced last year. They're going to be facing this year, right? So uh, the mm-hmm. most leading CIOs, leading CTOs, and so on, tend to be uh, one or two years ahead of their peers, uh, and they're tackling the things that the rest of us are going to be dealing with here shortly. And so uh, I surveyed them, and and the data was very interesting. For example, they said far and away the biggest issue in the top organizations, in the top IT organizations, is tremendous pressure to move faster. Mm. And so digital agility was one of the the primary items that, that was on the Astro chart, is um, and this pressure is coming from customers. It's coming from the board. It's coming from their C-suite peers. It's coming from uh, line managers, and that is they want technology to serve the business. Uh, they they know that now know the art of the possible better than ever before. Our consumer tools and mobile phones are teaching us what kind of great seamless experiences we should be having, right? So that was a, a, a that and some other data points: that customer experience, business intelligence and analytics. Um, uh, and uh, things like employee experience are going to be very top priority items uh, in 2018 for for almost all companies.
0: Sure. Uh, so for those of you just tuned in, you know, as as Dion talks about the Astro Chart, please follow Dion Hinchcliffe on Twitter because you will see uh, pictorial representations of the of the business trends and the technology trends with the Astro Chart. Now on the x-axis, you have organizational adoption. You have mainstream at the bottom, early adopters at the middle and bleeding edge at the top. So that's the X axis of the astro chart. The Y axis, you have the business impact. And to the left, it's incremental, in the middle is transformational, and to the right is exponential. So both business trends and technology trends on the astro chart share the same framework of organizational adoption and business impact. And so my question is, and I'll start one, if you can define the business versus tech trends and differences. And then as I look at the astro chart for the business impact, in terms of the upper right corner, which would be exponential business impact and organizational adoption, the highest uh, uh, um, uh, reference is the sharing economy. But you also have digital ecosystem, API economy, you have digital business models. At the heart of the business impact, you even have Chief Digital Officer, so it's a combination of technology, combination of business model innovation, as well as C- new C-suite that, that ha- can help drive uh, uh, transformation in business. So maybe you can pick a few of these items that you think are very notable, both on the business impact side and also the technology side.
1: Yeah, sure. So let, let's take that first question about, you know, what's the difference between the the tech astro chart. Um, and the business astro chart yeah. and there's lots of tech trends out there um, uh, in, uh, different graphs and charts and, and waves and so on uh, that break it down but they leave out a very important component in that the, the technology is reshaping us as people right uh, us mm-hmm. as businesses uh, and so there, there's lots of implications for that so uh, for example when social media arrived we now could collaborate effortlessly or publish effortlessly to the entire world um, that gave us very immensely powerful tools but it also changed how we could manage our organizations so it gave rise to uh, uh, approaches like holacracy which is a management approach that's ar- around self-organization there's there's virtually no managers in the organization yeah zappos is doing it um, but that's primarily a business uh, activity it's about people restructuring the way that they work it's maybe aided by technology but the center of the trend is really around what's happening with people. So whenever possible, when the when a trend was primarily influenced by technology, but the actual trend itself was about the business uh, or the people inside the business, then we, we put it on the business astro chart. Uh, if it was primarily about some new emerging technology that's reshaping the enterprise, we put it on the technology side. And that's to reflect that we have to change our, our, our businesses and we change our people just as much as we change the tech. I think one of the biggest lessons, you know, you and I have had together in the industry in the last five years is, is that if you change the technology, but you don't address any of the people on the business side, it doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't, it doesn't really have that much impact. Right. Um, and if you just change what you're doing as people, but you don't bring in this powerful new technology, you don't have the impact, it's it's together, but keeping them on these two different lists, it shows that we have to make changes in both places. Um, and so uh, going back to your, your point though about incremental transformational and exponential, uh, on my charts, there really isn't that much exponential um, uh, that, um, uh, transformational, really around the um, you know the 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 topic uh, today is still really is around this: how do we digitally transform our business at its core? Uh, yet there's still lots of very valuable incremental technologies, and so uh, that's where we have we have a, a column on the Astro Truck for that. Uh, but it's the exponential side that's the real disruptors, that's the disruptive technology So I, the sharing economy has shown that even though it's actually a longer burn than I think most people thought, that I think a few people. Uh, in the industry, believe that sharing economy will have disrupted every single industry and every single major business. By now, we know that in the short term, it doesn't happen that fast. Long term, it has dramatic impact. It's reshaping industries. You know, if you look at um, look at the hospitality industry, uh, Airbnb. You know, that's the poster child that everyone o- overuses. Yeah. Still, yeah. it's the biggest hospitality uh, in company in the in the world. It's bigger than the top three hotel chains combined. Right.
2: Amazing.
1: Amazing. Uh, so, you know, we have, we see things like that or, or, or you know, uh, Uber, uh, but there's now many other segments that are being affected that way and uh, the sharing economy is having a dramatic impact. Uh, so it's going to be, it ha- it'll have an exponential effect. And that's why I really put it in there. Uh, but we, but we see, uh, to really highlight some of my very favorite ones. And again, I, I primarily address concerns of the C-suite. So these are, mm-hmm. these are, leaders who have to now will digital uh, effectively to change their organizations and move them into the future and bring everyone in the organization, uh, if possible, along with them, right? So how do we do that? Change is the hardest thing. Most uh, change initiatives fail. I think the Harvard Business Review, last time they measured and published it, they said 77% of large scale change initiatives fail, yet that's what we're all tasked with, digital transformation and profound uh, immersive change is what we're uh, is what we're focusing on. Yet has a very high failure rate. So uh, I have a number of areas on the business transaction chart that really that focused on these new ways we're look we're seeing to kind of accommodate some of that. So a few years ago, we had things like the center of excellence of a new technology came down the pike, like uh, mobile uh, devices or analytics um, or collaborative technologies, whatever it is. Uh, the IT department would typically create a uh, a resourced. Um, Center of Excellence, a group of people who are experts in that technology, and they would go help a bunch of groups inside of the organization and succeed at that, right? Uh, and what we learned was that worked uh, to, to introduce the technology into the organization, but it soon bogged down just like the IT department, uh, which typically has around uh, three to five percent of the company's revenue uh, to uh, that they get to use to automate the entire business. Mm-hmm. Now. Everything in the business is being automated. And just having a few isolated uh, change teams trying to change the entire business, we know that's not going to work. And so we're seeing these larger organizations, uh, and I see this now pattern uh, emerging repeatedly, is that change initiatives are becoming much more distributed. They're becoming, uh, instead of centers, they're becoming networks of change, right? Uh, Networks of change teams. I call this the network of excellence. Uh, and large companies are, are doing this successfully we've seen it in uh, from Coca-Cola to General Electric at even Amazon saying that if we're going to tackle something We're going to dynamically self-organize around it, bring the people who are available to work on that um, uh, And we'll be able to oversee this because they'll typically use open collaborative tools uh, to, to deliver on these on these programs and all the stakeholders can see what's going on other people can learn from the initiative uh, and skills and tasks and 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 uh, uh, workers can be plugged into that, that that network as needed to take on the change. So I've I've got a new report coming out shortly uh, about that with with specific case examples. It really goes on to how distributed change networks of what we call change agents yeah. um, are really much more powerful than any kind of small group, a small center, or a small team that's tasked with trying to change the sometimes not just the entire organization, but also a large swath of their customers too. It really, really can't, it really quite difficult to do. And so I think we've seen the change agent story becoming one of the more exciting topics in our industry over the last year as a result of that.
0: That's amazing. Ray, I don't know if you uh, are able to join us. Hey, my Ray, good friend and co-host Ray Wong, how are you? Where are you?
3: I <laughs> hey I'm here at the New York <laughs> airport. It's uh, part of the fun, a uh, little delayed flight, but uh, yeah, no. Um, I'm hearing change agents, and uh, I think Diane. One of the things that you've seen, uh, especially at our event this year at Constellation Connect Enterprise, was that um, the change agents are getting bigger and bigger in terms of uh, knowing how to operate, how to you know work within their C suites, and uh, also know when to leave as well. So, uh, I'm
1: sure. Are you seeing that trend as well, Diane? Absolutely. Well, the. Um, So I think we have, have, there's some uh, leaders that are change agents and there's folks, anyone in the organization can be a change agent, right? Uh, But the ones that we're seeing primarily uh, having a lot of effect is those who are kind of in the middle or higher up in the organization. Uh, They're able to see um, uh, things that, uh, see broadly across parts of the organization and they can start uh, bringing together other people uh, and and, uh, common challenges in the organization and bringing new ideas to the table. I think that's the big difference between a change champion and a change agent. A champion wants it to happen, but an agent helps make it happen, right? They figure it out. They bring the right people together, and they keep trying until they get it done. And and, uh, so uh, uh, it's exciting to see the number of executive change agents we're now seeing kind of matriculating out of these large enterprises.
0: On your uh, tech uh, uh, impact, the most furthest to the right, so uh, with the exception of open APIs, most uh, to the right was value as a service and highest in terms of organizational adoption and having a, a business impact. When you talk about value as a service, can you, can, is, is it more about understanding trends and analysis and shifting towards recommending actions that the business needs to take? Uh, is it going from descriptive to prescriptive use of analytics? Can you talk a little bit more about value as a service?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so what's the end game? Um, everyone wants to know what's the next thing as we go up the stack it used to be the largest companies in the world were hardware companies uh, building and manufacturing goods and services right Uh, then then we moved up the stack and software companies became uh, you know the the trendy thing in the 80s and 90s they were the biggest and fastest growing companies and they were the ones that were really changing businesses Uh, and then we saw in in the 2000s the data companies emerging right so we went up something even even less tangible and the the largest companies in the world this is the the googles and the facebooks and uh, and the amazons are are primarily data companies now right Mm -hmm. so um so these days we look at infrastructure as a service or software as a service those are all valuable things but they're they're not that that's not where that's not the overall trend that's not where the value is going um increasingly we're going to be looking at the outcome right the value created so um As opposed to saying I'm going to provide software to you as my primary value, is going to say I'm going to do something that matters to your business, right? So I'm going to retain your employees for you. That's a very high value um, uh, outcome you're looking for. So if you use my my capability or my service, I'm going to provide that value. I will retain. I'll I will provide capabilities that will retain your retain your employees. Or I will grow your, your sales, right? Uh, or I will make you more efficient. I'll optimize your supply chain for you. That's the value I'm going to create. And so we're, we're seeing that the kind of the, the end game for the whole as a service economy is going to be that the outcome, not necessarily the means to get there. Right now, we're, most companies are still focused on the means to get there, some intermediate step. What, what most of these organizations saying, I don't even want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have to even learn the software. What I really want for you to provide the outcome, the value to me. And to do that over the network, right? To do that as a service
0: for me. So, uh, so, so do you see service level agreements negotiated between a customer and a value as a service provider where that SLA is now tied to revenue growth, operational cost reduction, customer churn, net promoter score? Really things that are outcomes and the, the value as a service provider now has to deliver on a promise of I'm going to increase your revenue by 5%. Yeah, you uh, you got
2: you- it.
1: That's it, and, uh, and they'll wow. compete for it, right? And well, mean, okay. you saw this, I mean, uh, companies at Google saw this a long time ago, if you remember uh, Google AdWords, it's, and it still has it, is the pay for action, right. view that is the most valuable way of selling their service, right. yet the market wasn't ready for that, right, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're, you know, it was, it was still immature, it's saying I want, you only have to pay for the outcome that you want, right, right. and if I can provide that, then you, I'm gonna beat everybody. Um, And so, yes, increasingly SLAs are not going to be around uptime, although that's still going to be in there. It's not going to be around, uh, um, you know, the the ability to uh, return records in a certain time period. It's going to be around metrics, KPIs that matter to your business, things that value to you most, uh, um, value most to you. So increasingly when, you know, uh, competing with somebody who's lower down in the stack, who's trying to sell you a piece of software and you say, I won't even need to do that. I'm just going to produce the outcome for you, right? Produce the value for you, but you'll have to connect to my you know my ecosystem to make that happen sure Um, that's yeah that that's that's as far as we can see there's there's almost certainly something beyond that but as far as we can see down the road uh to where the end game for as a service that's uh, that whole economy that's where that's going
0: will the critical path be integration of capabilities in order to get to that outcome because you know no matter what uh, vendor you speak of there's definitely interdependencies between your ERP and your CRM and your, you know, all these other, uh, you know, your, your stack, let's say in marketing or sales or IT. Yeah,
1: well, you'll have to at least unleash the data that that, that value as a service offers. Requires as right. input. Right, whatever, whatever they require. But it, but it, I, increasingly, yes, it's gonna be very intertwined, right? The best ones are gonna say, I need to have, you know, kind of real-time access to key yeah. databases in your, in your company, otherwise I can't do it, right? Sure. I, you know. Uh, I'm trying to build a ship in a bottle type of thing. So, yeah, so this is where ecosystems, which is also another, you know, um, it's on the business trends, digital ecosystems in the API economy, everything's becoming intertwined. And with things like microservices, you know, most companies are going to be uh, connected to hundreds of on demand suppliers who are, um, uh, and, and they'll in turn will also be a provider. That's, that's just the future, and that's happening right now.
0: Ray, your thoughts.
1: Yeah, you know, I think one of the most exciting
3: times right now is, is because of what's happening um, in every single role. And uh, Diane's Diane's been covering, you know, this, this shift in all the different CXOs as they transition uh, to become much more digital. Uh, we have, uh, you know, that big shift to chief digital officers, but... You know, one of our predictions in the past was really, uh, by 2025, there will be no chief digital officers. And and that's really, as uh, this transformation happens, right, you get a CFO that suddenly knows how to build new business models to support as a service, right, which is very, very different, and and build an organization to do that. Um, so, Diane, on your end, I mean, what, what are you saying? What What is that trend or what that shift look like for the next year? What should CXOs be thinking about um, with these business trends and tech trends ahead of them?
1: So, the... Um... Probably the biggest thing that they have to do is figure out how to operationalize faster. Um, so, how do they parallel out uh, what they're doing and close the f- the, the the feedback loop? Uh, what we're seeing is that uh, the analytics tools um, and, and all the capabilities that we have today to generate data around all this is swamping our old um, our legacy m- models for for improving what we're doing. We're used to like changing things on, on the time scale of months, if not years. Whereas we now have these real-time feedback loops in the market saying, engage with this customer now, uh, jump on this trend here, because it's going to, uh, you know, first mover advantage is, is this week. Um, and so there's this tremendous pressure uh, to, to move more, more quickly. But to do that, you have to close close the, the, the feedback loop and, and say, if something comes back, we have to make sure that we're act, we're acting on it. And that means really parallelizing our organizations, uh, and so we're seeing that decentralization is is in vogue. That that you want to centralize certain things around governance and and you know, managing privacy and and, and protecting data, um, but you and putting some guardrails on things, but then get everyone to be able to 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 view their data, view the data that matters to so them, get the recommendations, the insights that they need to be able to act quickly, and give them tools and platforms that can be shaped in. Days and weeks, and not months and years. I mean, that's just all taking time to get down to the you know, down to the field. I think
0: part of that business agility um, and and trust that's required to transact and, and be agile is this promise of uh, removing the intermediary. And technologies like blockchain in your tech trends, you have blockchain right now with business impact. transformational category very right edge of transformational almost touching the exponential uh, layer when do you anticipate blockchain shifting from the edge of transformational to exponential and is it just because the talent and the company culture and the ecosystem is lacking for blockchain to reach that level of adoption maybe we can see exponential use cases and, and growth in business
1: well, no, and you were very, uh, you're correct to, to note that we had, there was careful placement there, and there was a lot of debate. Whether <laughs> yeah.
0: that was. I bet that there was, was right? a lot of debate, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where that was going to go.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the first, the disclaimer, blockchain uh, is, is kind of a catch-all, right? There is the blockchain, right, uh, which yeah. is, you know, has, has a variety of, <laughs> yeah. of constraints and must be used in a specific way. And then there's things like distributed ledger, ledger technology, um, you know, synchronous logs, those sorts of things, yeah. um, immutable logs. Um, and then there's what we call class of technologies synchronous ledger technology and that's it's that class of technologies that's in the process of remaking insurance uh, and finance and soon healthcare healthcare is going to be a tougher nut to crack but there's no question that that this is showing the you know this yeah. is showing the industry the way right um, and so i think that uh, if you look at the, the you know the big trends like you know, china for example is seriously exploring using blockchain to record real estate transactions and especially tax records right yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, when you have these major government programs seriously looking at it, um, and you have again almost every financial institution having trials or experimenting with blockchain and blockchain-related technologies, uh, the writing's on the wall. I think everyone's looking at at that to to really create the next generation of products and services that have much higher level of trust. Because if there's anything any fallout from all the cybersecurity and data protection issues that are that are happening, is that people. Increasingly, don't really trust the network that much, yeah. uh, and blockchain can can reel a lot of that back in if it's done right, right? If it's implemented correctly, uh, so I, I believe uh, there's a good chance if uh, if some certain, if some major issues can be addressed, and I think they will be, yeah. that blockchain will move over into that exponential uh, category if some commonality, some common solutions, and some common approaches can be developed.
0: Sure, Ray, can you achieve infinite ambient orchestration? without the combination of blockchain technologies and artificial intelligence?
3: <laughs> sure, answer answers yes. Um, but uh, blockchain is gonna play a big role in terms of uh, getting to provenance of data and provenance of data sources. So I think that's, a, that's an important thing, so. But, uh, but as we're talking about that, uh, you know, one of the things that's actually happening, and we've got like five minutes uh, to the end of the show, is uh, we are doing some very interesting broadcasts. Uh, this week. Um, we're all talking about trends and as the world is gathered uh, at Davos uh, talking about what's happening, what's next, what's going to happen. Uh, we've also put out together um, some of the early pieces of our PESTEL framework which is the uh, futures framework uh, that really guides a lot of our research and uh, I'll share a little bit of some of those things that are out there. Um, it's, we look at politics, economics, societal, environmental, uh, technology and legislative trends and we put them together and really use that to kind of think about how that impacts both the business and the technology uh, that's happening out there. So, But I'll take a couple ones that are are kind of related to this blockchain conversation uh, that we're starting. And one of the interesting things with blockchain is we actually think that there are going to be trading networks um, that are built on this. And the way cryptocurrencies are set up today, we think the cryptocurrencies are actually creating the ability for us to think about blockchain trusted commerce. So there's hype around Bitcoin, but What we're really talking about here is land titles or cold food supply chains or academic transcripts or healthcare records, right? And if you can reduce the friction, as Diane was saying, of establishing trust, um, efficiency is going to be brought back into these trading networks. The challenge is we've got to get beyond this hype of Bitcoin and figure (laughs) out how does this actually (laughs) change commerce? (laughs) Well, hey, you know, we've got to try. So the trading networks are going to emerge as the backbone of these new network economies. We see business models that are going to be built this way, uh, built off what's happening on Bitcoin. Uh, But really, what's happening with synchronous ledger is not Bitcoin, but more blockchain.
0: Sure. Well, the cryptocurrency global market cap is near 700 billion. uh, And there's about 42, you know, uh, digital currencies that have a billion plus market cap. And that's the hype. That's the.
1: That's a know, lot of kilowatt hours of energy, too. Wow.
0: Unbelievable. <laughs> and you also see the, 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 the volatility in the last five days. You saw the cryptocurrency market cap reduced by $240 billion. That's almost equivalent to the market cap of Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. And that's the shift in just a five-day uh, change. So, yeah, there's a lot of volatility, but incredible amount of wealth that's being produced behind this. Of of course, blockchain and, and ICO frame, framework. We are going to spend Wednesday at Davos talking about blockchain. Ray will be on site at Davos every day. Uh, this is the World Economic Forum annual get together of uh, you know the world's best and brightest talking about business and technology and societal trends. Ray will be on on site at Davos every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We have live shows. The show on Wednesday we're dedicating to blockchain, and we have uh, a best-selling author, Chief Digital Officer, Richie Otaro, who just recently wrote a book about the trust economy and blockchain. We have David Chow, the most mentioned retweeted social CIO, and he's gonna talk about uh, the impact of blockchain and healthcare. And we have Saul Kaplan, who's a visionary thought leader, has invested the last decade guiding CXOs in terms of business model innovation, not just product and service incremental improvements using digital technologies. So that's Wednesday's show. But tune in. You can go to the Constellation Research events page and see all of the, you know, we have close to a dozen thought leaders across uh, those three days and Ray's going to be busy uh, acting as uh, our on-site, you know, connector and thought leader helping us learn more about Davos. Any
3: comments you want to add, Ray? Yeah, no. Yeah, no, no. We're going to be live at the uh, Wipro Pavilion, uh, which is 74 on the promenade. And, uh, you know, it's, it's action-packed, right? Monday, we've got Annalie Killian. She's going to be talking about social trends from Sparks and Honey. Uh, Naveen Rajev, who's the uh, CMO at Wipro, is going to be talking about what they're saying on site. Nagesh Rao. Uh, who's a fellow uh, Eisenhower fellow He's uh, going to be talking about some of the innovation trends that are happening. Tuesday's even bigger. We've got actually uh, Steve Waterhouse. He's at orchid labs. He's going to be on site live at Davos. We've got a couple of Davos interviews We have a special guest. We also have Nigel Cameron. He's talking about tech policy. He's a, uh, He's a president and emeritus and he talks about technology features of what's actually happening, this tech policy council that he's been creating over time. And then Joanne Moretti, the SVP and chief marketing officer of j talking and Radius, GM of Radius Design. She'll be talking about what's going on with innovation uh, in general and some innovation trends that are happening out there. But uh, that... And we have a Friday show <laughs> on top of it, so it's going to be a massive week. Uh, we've got Chris Wong on Friday for episode ninety-one. He's chairman and CEO at Lifesight, a cool technology and startup. He's actually an enterprise software vendor. David Chow himself is going to be there uh, from uh, Kansas City Children's Mercy Hospital. And once again, we'll also have, uh, oh, actually we have uh, Soon Yu, the uh, speaker of Iconic Advantage. He's launching his book this weekend, and Larry Dingan to actually wrap everything up on Friday. So it's busy
0: week. Busy week. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah,
3: I'm I'm on my way to DLD. So uh, this is kind of the uh, jump jumping hop to Munich uh, from New York. And uh, but yeah, it's been a crazy week. But everyone should check out Diane's research uh, at D Hinchcliffe D H I N C H C L I F F E. Uh, Diane, thanks for being on the show and sharing all the cool new stuff you've got. And thanks uh, for being
2: a uh,
0: co-host thank you <laughs>
1: so... <laughs> oh it's my pleasure it's great always we, great to do that
3: well, And
0: Ray, we have identified perhaps our permanent uh you know substitute co-hosts when we need one so diane was a i'd amazing. love to do it
1: you bet oh, this is fun yeah, so this much. is fun all right travel well gentlemen Take
0: thank care. you sir thank you everyone for watching it's friday it's disrupt tv we look forward to uh connecting with you multiple days next week from damos and then our regularly scheduled show on friday at 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m eastern thank you and have a great weekend everyone